Moving on. Moving on. We're moving on. If you're a guest here, um, I just want to say that we thank you for coming and we honor you and we love you and I hope that the Lord speaks to you. But you've come into our fellowship here at an interesting time. As Pastor Kevin just explained, um, that's the title. That message is, I didn't have a title, so I wrote that. And seeing it, it looks pretty stupid. So <laughs> take that down. We'll, we'll... What? Everybody likes that title, though. We just take the S off, so it just says, What up, guy? Anyway, yeah, you come in at a really interesting time. Um, we're suffering, we're, we're, we're passing through a time of uh, grief, and I'm going to be speaking about that, and I believe this message has value to anyone who hears it, but it's specifically for our people, so um, I just wanted to say that before I started. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to talk about what's up, God. So, Father, I pray that you bless this time, that we would have ears to hear um, your message, you would speak in this place and fill us with your presence, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So as Pastor Kevin mentioned, um, our congregation is um, grieving the loss of a young member, um, 10-year-old Eli, passed away tragically, and um, in a way that, you know, Unexpected and, um, and completely random. You know, you're just driving down the road and something happens. And uh, a life is lost. And it's done some jarring things. Um, even to the point, to me, that uh, a couple, or maybe a day, I think it was the next day, someone had said something regarding the traffic accident, and it was on the news or in the news, so I wanted to see this thing. They I couldn't remember. Like, they said something, and I couldn't remember what they said, and so I searched just on Google, Jacksonville car accident, thinking surely it'll pop right up, and there was, like, it was, like, 20 hours after it had happened, and there was already, like, two or three other fatality car accidents, and I know we live in a, you know, reasonably big city, but it just kind of stuck out to me that, you know, Every time something like this is happening, you know, thoughts of eternity, thoughts of, you know, you don't have to be a church in, you know, a war zone to experience the, and I'm not talking about just life. I'm just saying that, you know, you, we can be lulled to sleep, you know, that our, you know, we're here just to hang out with each other or feel good about something, you know, but really... Eternity is in the balance and these sorts of things. And you don't have to go to a war-torn place to find that. It's right here. I was shocked how many other events had happened in the exact same... I was like, wow, you know. And it kind of, I guess, kind of woke me up. I was like, wow, you know, what we do here does matter. And I don't just mean as a church. I just mean in the world. And so I kind of noticed two things that I've seen in myself and in other people um, that I believe God can be behind. We can also go a little too far with it. But it was kind of two shifts um, that kind of instantly happened with that sort of sudden realization. Um, one is a shift of priorities. I watched in 
everybody I was talking to, in light of what had happened, immediately things you thought were important seemed kind of point, didn't matter at all, and then other things seemed really important. And like I said, you can go too far with that, but it's also kind of a window into maybe how things really actually are. You know? And what I mean by that is there's oftentimes, uh, if you're a churchy person, and you really want to go after God and this kind of thing, you can, I, you can like make all of these, I don't know, practices or I have to like make something up to like you, I want to be the person who's praying for people and God is like changing their lives through my words or you know I'm speaking prophetically and it's powerful and it's being confirmed and it's moving people and that is important i'm not minimizing that you see what i'm saying but you can get so into that kind of thing that you like don't spend time with your kids you see and you don't have to be that churchy to do that too you can just be up you know, like that's at least kind of good you know you could just be into your job so much or something like that that all i'm all about money and achievement and all that kind of thing which again is not bad either but you start to kind of realize Maybe what God thinks is important and what we operate out of as important every day isn't always the same thing. You see what I'm saying? So that was one of the things that stuck to me. Just kind of, gosh, you know. And then it kind of moved into the second thing that I would see so much of conversations I would have with people moving into, which was kind of how much of all this we get wrong, you know. Um, here we have a, a 10-year-old boy who did have kind of a very, like as Pastor Jeff brought up, a very special relationship with the Lord. But then as he passes to be with Jesus, and we don't know exactly, like there's a lot to say about that. You know, uh, you know the, the final hope of a Christian believer is to be resurrected with our Lord and live in new heaven, new earth. But there's this kind of in-between phase. Jesus says to the guy on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. And we don't totally know exactly what that's like. I don't know if you just suddenly know a whole lot of stuff or, I don't know. You know, I mean, some people might say they know. They probably don't. But there's not, we don't have all the information there. You know what I mean? I know it's good. I know you're with God. Jesus calls it paradise. Doesn't sound too bad. Point being, though, I kind of think that in an encounter with God like that, shed from the, the wickedness and sin of the world and the darkness and the brokenness, you kind of can go, Oh, I get it now, <laughs> in a really good way, like the best version of that. And so I was thinking about Eli, this 10-year-old boy, that he's like, oh, you know, what does he know now that we don't know, you know? And the kind of joy that came from that, him and I weren't like super close and all, but he did this thing, like Kevin had mentioned, kid had a really good sense of humor and really was into Chris Farley at 10, you know? So, the, you know, he, he knew it was funny. And he would do this thing to me every Sunday, or not every Sunday, but like a lot. It was kind of like we would walk up to each other, and he would stop, and I would stop, and we would kind of act like we weren't looking, you know, kind of like looking around. And then after the appropriate amount of time, he would raise his hand like this, <laughs> point at his eyes, and then point at me like, I'm watching you, and then walk away, never smile or anything. <laughs> that was our like weekly or bi-week, whatever, you know. That was our inner interaction. It didn't matter where it was. It would always be before the service, and he'd be like. <laughs> and so when you kind of put all those things together, I was like, man, this, this guy knows. And I'm not saying he's watching us right now. That might get weird. But my point is, 
I, I felt like he was acting in a priestly way, okay? What I mean by priestly is in between the people and God, okay? And I felt the joy, because he's doing it to be funny, you know? But in a way, it's kind of like God saying to me, <laughs> like, I know you're doing your best, <laughs> and I'm, I'm watching you. But it's also funny. You see what I'm saying? Not like I'm watching you and I'll smash you if you get it all wrong. But like I'm watching you and I'm actually, I'm f- the God saying to me or us, I'm filled with joy at really how well you're doing with so little or, you know, like that kind of thing. You know, there's a, there we like to imagine God, um, and God is severe. So don't hear this the wrong way. But like a lot of these other things, you can take this too far, you know. If you imagine God mostly being mad with you, probably not on the right track, you know. And Jason Upton had a song when he was having small children that talked about all that we get wrong in a way. Because as you're teaching your children things, they don't get it right the first time. And he had an insight where he was like, you know, I bet God is kind of more like this, where we think, I'm getting all this wrong, so God's probably really mad at me, even though I'm trying my best or whatever. You know, maybe not all of you think this way. I think this way. And I'm not, and, and here when I say all of this, don't go church. Like, I work here, so all of this might include more churchy things for me than for you. But when I say all of this, I mean life here, okay? How you interact with other people, your friends, your family, your neighbors, your wife, your husband, that stuff. All of this, you know? doing the best I can, you know, I'm trying to like, you know, and you feel this kind of, and he was talking about in the song that you're teaching your children things, and like every parent does this, uh, or at least, well, good parents do. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I actually don't know if that's true. It's probably a bad thing to do in some senses if you're trying to teach, but you teach a kid a word, you know, and then they say it back, but they don't say it right, and what they say is so much better than the word. You know, and sometimes they just make up weird stuff, but you get it. You know, like that's not what that's called, but we will call it that now. And you've got things in your family that have stuck for 20 years because somebody said something weird. And it's just and so what I mean by that is like it's not just a word and it's not just a it's 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 an expression of a life together. Like we get it. There's joy in it, you know, and then you miss it when the kids learn how to say the right thing. It's like, oh, man, my wife and I will talk about that sometimes. Um, man, I miss, I miss when they would say this, or I miss when they would say that. And um, he was saying that he suspects that God's heart towards us, even in areas of theology, is kind of like that. You know, not that God changes who he is. Not that God ever, he's unchanging. But his heart towards us is so joyful and strong that he's like, you know, I'm going to say it wrong like you because I like it, you know? And so it was, it was a picture for me of Eli, you know. And so I was thinking about what to speak about today, and I felt like God led me to a passage which might seem unusual at first, but I think it will be helpful once we get through it. Um... Because when you encounter a trauma, you can be tempted to stop. And you need to stop for a while and grieve. This is appropriate. And the Bible talks about that. 
He even tells us as believers that we're to grieve with those who grieve. This is a ministry, okay? But then you can also be tempted to stop and just stay there. That is not what is intended. And it's not good. Because like I even said, meanwhile, life goes on. Like even in the bad news that I was searching on the website, like since this event had happened in 20 hours, it had happened like to six more people or something in our city. You know? It's not the only thing happening. You see what I'm saying? Some of you, since we've gone through this event as a church, have encountered bad news in your own life. Some of you were like, I probably, I don't want to share this with the church because I know they're dealing with something. You know, no, that's not true, you know. Or good news. I don't want to share that either because it doesn't seem like right. I mean, there are times to be sensitive, but you see what I'm saying? That, we, we, that life goes on and you can get, you know, first you're in shock, you're in adrenaline, and then you burn out, and then you're mad. And you go through all of these, you know, griefs. And you, and you start to ask, if you're a believer, I think, or I'm tempted to ask, God questions, why did you do this or let this happen? Or don't you care or these types of things? And I think that's actually a good thing to do, you know. And what I'm going to talk about today is how God might answer those kinds of questions, Okay. Because don't ever be afraid to ask God real questions. I mean, certainly, like, you're, like, you're going to church it up for God like he doesn't know already? Well, like, here's the thing. I mean, if God's not real, this whole thing's a waste of time. And I don't know what we're doing, you know. But if he is real, then he already knows. You see what I'm saying? And so you need to be real before God. But you also need to be real about how, you know, he, he will respond. We're going to talk about a specific time where God was responding. And I'm not going to talk about Job which is where, I, you know, you would think, oh, he's going to talk about Job, you know, because Job goes through a pretty bad situation that he didn't deserve. You know, it even says that, and then he starts challenging God about it. And you should read it, you know, because God responds in a similar way. But I'm actually talking about something, like I said, seems almost random at first, but then um, I think it might apply really well to us. You know, uh, you ask certain questions of, you know, God, why did you do this to me? Um, and you might ask some other questions like, you know, what are we supposed to do now with how you've allowed this to happen here or, you know, there or, you know, this kind of thing. And what we're going to look at is Joshua. The book of Joshua is coming as the Hebrew people are finally about to enter into the land that God has promised them to be their kingdom. Um, And uh, sorry, I just looked at the title of the sermon again. Um, what I meant by that, what's up, God, is not like, hey, what's up, God, but like, you know, what's up with this? You know, like, what are you doing? You know, so whatever. We don't need to pre- focus on that. But so, so Joshua, the, they're about to enter the kingdom, and they're facing kind of an insurmountable barrier of the city of Jericho. And then Joshua has this interesting experience um, with God. And I, I actually am borrowing from something I preached uh, a couple years ago. Uh, not the other time I preached about Jericho, but it was actually like two buildings ago. So I figured, how many of y'all were even here two buildings ago? So we're going to just use it a little bit again because it's really helpful. It's that good, folks. We're going to read this first. (laughs) All right, I'm 
gonna <laughs> okay, so Joshua 5, 13 through 15. Now Joshua, who is the leader, let me be clear. Y'all need to know this. Moses was leading, Moses is dying, Joshua's the new leader, right? So you're the guy or in this story that's leading the people of God into this kingdom, insurmountable barrier in front of you. You don't know what to do. Okay, right? There we go. You've seen God do some amazing things, but here we are. So now Joshua was near Jericho, the big city that he can't get through. He looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or our enemies? So that's the question he's asking, all right? The answer, neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have come now. I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And that's the end of that. The next thing is like, okay, and so here's what they did. So a couple things to focus on. Jericho here is an insurmountable barrier between this man and the land that God had promised to him and his people, and his job was to lead them to get there. He didn't have enough people. He didn't have enough resources. He didn't have, this was like totally fortified, and he's incapable of accomplishing this. And rightly asking God, like, what am I supposed to do about this, you know? And then this man appears to him. And this is an interesting subject matter, actually. Well, this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but we're just going to look at it. No one, there's not total agreement as to who this guy is. There's a lot of argument that this is a pre-incarnational appearance of Jesus, which in theological terms is called a Christophany, which means Jesus is the word of God all exists. Like read the beginning of John. He, he doesn't start existing when he's born. That's when he just became incarnated, okay? So he was around before that for all eternity. He's God, okay? And so um, there are many that believe this is Jesus himself appearing because there's several things that happen that are interesting. One, he doesn't tell him not to, like, worship him, you know? And he also tells him the ground is holy, which represents sort of like another theophany of God appearing in the burning bush to Moses just before that. So there's like similarly. So I'm t I tend to believe this direction. He also calls himself the commander of the army of the Lord, which kind of mirrors in Revelation what Jesus is. Um, some people think he's an angel. It doesn't really matter today, but you can look into that if you're interested. Point is, God is speaking through this person, whether it's God himself or another person like Eli looking at me like this. You, you know, that's God speaking. You see how this works? Like when we pray for each other, God speaks through us to other people, or we speak for them on behalf of God. Like these things are allowed. That's what priests do, okay? So I believe it was probably Jesus. If you don't, don't get hung up there. We're going to move on. But he's speaking on behalf of God, okay? And, God, and he asks him a question, which I actually like Joshua a lot. I kind of connect with him. Like people sometimes say, like, what... Bible character, which character is kind of a weird word to use, but what person in the Bible do you really kind of connect with? I usually connect with Joshua a lot. I just always have. I don't know why. But I, I kind of think part of it is because he gets right to the point in ways that I kind of like. Like, he doesn't beat around the bush with this guy. 
He's like, did you just make my day a lot better or worse? You see what I'm saying? He doesn't go like, hey, let me try to feel this guy out and see what, you know, what we can do with this. He's just like, look, let's just get, you know, am I going to also have to fight you or are you going to help me fight them, you know? But he asks him a question um, in the same way that we ask God questions when we're faced with uh, difficulty. He gives him two choices. Are you for me or are you for them? And I want you to, you have to really kind of step outside of your mind for a second. But when we see something really bad happen that doesn't make sense and we tend to ask God questions, sometimes whether we give God the multiple choice answer or not, we're building the same sort of box for God to respond in. You know, you might be saying something that's extraordinarily open-ended in like a philosophical way, like why did this happen, okay? But even that question, if you can step back for a second, is built inside kind of a logic construct that is kind of like this, okay? You following what I mean? I could probably explain it a little bit more, but just trust me. We tend to ask God questions that box him in like is this good or bad did you do this or not you see this kind of thing and uh but even the more open-ended ones i think still kind of box him in and this is an interesting thing um this guy kind of says no so it says like are you for me or for them and he's like no you know, <laughs> which isn't really an a- answer. It's kind of like you didn't pick one. You know, like, wait, let's go through this again. <laughs> are you for me <laughs> or are you for them? He's like, no, that's not, the, that's not it at all. And I had uh, um, run across somebody who had written down that he thought there was three no's that were built into this no or the answer neither, which is no. You know, are you for me? Or are you against me? No. <laughs> the first one is this. And it can help us to start unraveling uh, these places in our mind. Is it? No. That he was saying to Joshua, God was saying, no, this isn't your idea. Okay? I know I've called you to do this. I know I have put this, this barrier is here. And I know that I've called you to go through that and I put you as the leader of these people. But this thing that you're doing is not your thing. Okay? This life that you're living is not your thing. It doesn't all rest on you. What God's saying to Joshua is, I care about this more than you do. Okay? So don't, don't start getting all, you know, what am I going to do? He's like, I care about it more than you do. And so the, the funny thing about that is you, it seems okay. Like we need to use this as a tool for ourselves because it works down to the, the, fi- the most finite level, okay? God also, same God, says he knows every number of hairs. The number of hairs he has, you have on your head, which might sound like, well, if God knows everything, of course he knows that, so whatever. But the point is that he's that intimately in knowledge of you. You don't know how many hairs you have on your own head right now. Or you might if you're Brad. Brad knows. 
Sorry, I just looked out and I was like, well, there may be an exception or two. But you get, what, you get the point. So God is more invested in your life than you are. That should be very comforting, okay? The second though is this. <laughs> you, can't do, you can't do this yourself. Because if he's out there asking, like, God, what am I going to do with this thing? What am I going to do to do this? You know, and he's like, you know, are you, are you for me or are you against me? And he's like, no, 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 you, you can't do this. You can't do this. So that's an answer there. No, this isn't, you can't do this on your own. But with me, we can do a lot, okay? Third no, it's not for your glory. This one might be harder to see in your own life, but in the Facebook world, it's not just so you can post about how great of a parent you are, so everybody can see it. All the good that we do is for the Lord's glory. And if you want to do something powerful, it requires him to move. You can't, the second no, you can't do this yourself. It's for my glory. He's still going to use you to do it. But it's not for our glory. When I talked about things that seem important, it suddenly don't. When you get woken up by something jarring like this, that is one of them. And as God does move you through uh, this time, I pray that you can hold on to that. Because there's a moment where you're like, why did I care about all of this stuff? And over time, you start to pick it back up again. Oh, it does really matter if people like me this way or that way. You know, I could start filling in the gap, but it's just a waste of time. You already know what I'm talking about. And it's so individual. So three no's. No, this is not your idea. God cares about it more. This barrier in your life, this insurmountable thing. And no, you can't do this yourself. It's, it's insurmountable. But God can do it. And he will do it through you. But it's not, the third one, not to your glory. And I think Joshua got this message in some deep way. I mean, when you're talking literally to God or, you know, on somebody standing on behalf of God in front of you, um, kind of, maybe these words can carry, like, deeper meaning, you know, instantly. Like, when he just says, neither, (laughs) or no, uh, I've, I've come as the commander of the army of the Lord. I think he got the message. I think he got all three of those things instantly. He's like, oh, okay, understood. But he responds, what message does my Lord have for his servant? My Lord is the guy, servant is us, or him. You're going to stop telling him about the problem, you see. Have you noticed this, like you led us here. We did go through a river, pretty cool. The way that happened, we walked through with God's presence, you know, and the river stopped, freaked everybody out. We're hanging out now. But have you seen where we're at? We kind of came in in a bad spot. Maybe we could have come in, we dealt with this later, you know. Um, and again, I, I don't even know if God would have been upset if he started talking like that, you know. But I think he got the memo is my point, you know. 
And maybe they did talk more than this. I mean, this may not be exactly the transcription, you know. But uh, um, he might have already prayed all that stuff, you know. What he might have done is gone away from everybody. He's like, hey, guys, I need a moment really quick. And he goes out and he's like, seriously, what are you doing right now? You know, what's up, God? <laughs> you know, you're going to lead us here and now we got this to deal with, you know. I'm going to look like an idiot when everybody dies, you know. And, uh, and that's just bad. Like, was I right about this? Was I wrong about this? Like, what, like, how are we even, you know, and then this guy shows up, you know. But he says the right thing back to him. Joshua does, I mean. What message do you have? And so he says back, the, the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy. That is absolutely connected to back to that. When Moses is called to be the, the you know, liberator of the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt, he encounters a burning bush that has God's presence in it as fire, and it tells him the same thing. And then that's it. It doesn't say what happened after that. It just kind of goes on into, and so here's what they did. So I kind of was like, I like that because it doesn't give us an answer really today to uh, um, linger on too much, except for this. I suspect, at least in some way, um, he takes his sandals off and he's like, all right, tell me what, you know, what's up. And then the commander says, here's what you're going to do. That city that you're talking about, you're going to kind of like march around it a number of times. And then the last time, shout at it, and it'll all fall apart. I can see him looking like, that's the plan? I mean, like, I thought you were good at this stuff, you know. Like, I'm the commander of not the Lord's Army. You know, I'm just a normal guy here. I've got a better idea than that. But he's not that stupid. I might have said that. Or not. I don't know what this guy looked like. So I'm like, that's great. You know? <laughs> but uh, my point is that what God might say back, when I mean, you have a moment where your mind is freed, okay? You're facing the real thing. And it's jarred you into reality of, oh my goodness, this isn't going to work. I can't do it, it's not possible. God has, looks like God has kind of messed up. I'm going to look bad for it or even just my life is ruined or maybe we're going to die. I don't know. You know, like it's bad. And then God shows up and you're like, oh, God, thank you. You know, thank you. You know, then he gives you the next step. Makes no sense. Okay. If you're going to go back to where you were, like we're over here in the, you know, you know, the way life was before you're awakened to the way life actually is, okay? This is part of how God can use things like this, okay? Not the only way, it's just part of it. And while you're in that moment of awareness, God can say to you, this is how this works. And you might believe him. Oftentimes we don't. And oftentimes we might even talk to people who could talk us out of this, okay? I think about when Jesus 
disciples, there was a crowd of people, um, thousands of people. They're like, hey, man, you need to get rid of these folks because they need to go eat and they need a break. And yeah. He's like, well, you guys feed them. They're like, what? what There's like thousands of people here and like, it takes a lot of money. And so, no, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Jesus says, well, what do you have? You know? They're like, well, this kid here has, you know, a couple fish and bread. He's like, that'll do. And I could see, like, at that phase of the story, you're like, what What in the world? You know? But then Jesus starts praying and dividing it up, and they have enough to feed everyone that's there and fill 12 baskets left over with, you know, with leftovers or something like that. I think one of the stories is 10. It doesn't matter. They got, look, you start with very little and you end with tons. More than enough, you know. And so when God enters the equation, that's how this works. It doesn't work any other way than that, okay? And the insurmountable becomes surmountable, but only in his way. I think if Joshua had walked away and gone, nice idea, but, and then, you know, you see what I'm saying? But he didn't do that. He didn't follow his own heart or his own way. He trusted the Lord and did even the crazy thing that God had put before him because he knew the three no's, I think, went straight to his heart, that this wasn't his idea. This was God's idea. It was much bigger than he even he thought. It mattered more to God. God, okay? He couldn't do it himself. He'd already, he was, I already know that, you know? And then the third... Uh, like, oh, this is, this is about you. You're going to do it, and you're going to get the credit for it. I'm just one of the disciples who doesn't want to, you know, buy food for 4,000 or 5,000 people. So my, my challenge to you, or, or kind of uh, admonition of sorts, is ask God these questions, but prepare yourself for his answers, okay? Because they're going to lead you forward. I'm going to read this to you. It's a book by E. Stanley Jones. And um, he's talking about, in this section, Christians and their fear of death, or as he's talking about, uh, lack thereof. Okay? And what I want to say about this is, if Jesus isn't who he says he is and if he didn't do what the bible says he did then this whole thing is probably not terrible like we're still helping each other in this kind of thing but it's kind of nuts okay i mean it's like you have a club or something and you help people sometimes but It's not that important, you know. However, if Jesus is who he said he was, and he did do what the Bible says he did, then it matters supremely. And it especially matters in things like how we approach death. Because... Jesus, our Lord, himself died. 
Okay. He, he was raised again as we will be, but he didn't not die. And so our comfort in these sorts of times is the hope of eternal life with God. It isn't just if God raises a dead child back to life now. And he does do that sometimes. But he doesn't do it all the time. But that doesn't allow us to succumb to the fear of death as the enemy would have us. So I'm going to read you this. And Kayla, you guys can start coming up when you want. He says, the gospel raises the questions that perplex and tear the heart of man in the only way they could be adequately raised, namely within itself. Others raise them as philosophies. Jesus raised them as facts. As his twisted body hung on the cross, it seemed to turn into a vast question mark against the skyline as from his lips came the cry, my God, why? It seems that all the anguish and pain of the ages is gathered up in that bitter cry. There's not a single problem that perplexes and wrings our hearts that is not gathered up in the anguished question, or in that anguished question. How far can hate go? Why does this universe tolerate injustice? Why are the good seemingly deserted in their hour of anguish? Will the universe ever back good men? These and many other questions are voiced in that tragic prayer. What is the answer? The answer must be given in the very place where the questions are raised, namely in life itself. If the question is raised in connection with matter, the answer, to be an adequate one, must be given in connection with matter. The question was a fact. The answer must be a fact. God did answer adequately and in the very place where the questions were raised. The cross raises the, raises the questions and the resurrection answers them. The cross raises the questions and the resurrection answers them. It answers the fact of injustice and pain with a bigger fact in the victory. I could stop there, but I'm going to keep going. It would not have been a complete answer if Jesus had been raised only spiritually. For the questions were raised as physical and spiritual facts. And only a victory that was a victory in both of these realms would suffice. Jesus' resurrection was a victory, a complete and decisive victory in both these realms, and did therefore suffice. God's last word is not the cross, but the resurrection. That last word is not a spoken word, but a living word, a fact, the most stupendous fact in human history. We know now how things are coming out. God shall speak the last word in human affairs. 
And that last word will be victory. Jesus let life speak its cruelest word so that the gentlest and purest heart that ever beat was stilled in death. And then he quietly rose from the dead, came forth from the tomb with the tremendous words, with the most tremendous words ever uttered upon his lips. I am the resurrection and the life. It is this that gives the whole thing point, for it sets the sorrows of life to music and makes the ultimate note to be joy. So it's not wrong to be sad, guys. And it's not wrong to ask God questions. I think it's good. I think you should. And I want to invite you. We have this space down here. And if you've been asking God or troubled with some of these questions, why don't you come and stand? And if you need to, as a sign to God, take off your shoes. This is a holy ground as well. And I pray that the Lord would speak to you and to us with answers that lead us forward. So, Father, I pray that you would bless our hearts in this time. In Jesus' name. All is for your glory. All is for your That in 